This is the Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Greg Adam joins us, market analyst at Oanda, and the complaints about the EU as these trade talks loom is they just don't get it. They feel, according to the Brits, that uh, they will have a say in our regulations and our laws. That's part of levelling the playing field. We want none of it, do we? Um, I mean, you expect this kind of sabre-rattling, don't you? But we do have a point, don't we? I mean, what is the point of trade talks? We've got nothing to do with an overarching, non-elected, etc., etc having a way in our own laws i mean that's the the brexit point of view presumably yeah i mean i think the point you alluded to initially is really important that it is saber atom We've got to remember uh, this may feel like it's gone on forever but we are now in the early stages of the second phase of these negotiations which is the trade deal so i think we can expect a lot more of this uh, positioning uh, prior to an agreement being found you're, t- you're seeing two almost polar extremes in terms of what both sides want, but that's the natural starting positions. And you imagine they'll meet somewhere in the middle. I'd be surprised if there is any trade deal around the world at this point in time which doesn't contain some form of alignment. Uh, but both sides are very much positioning themselves as the UK saying, no, we want to make our own rules. That was the point of Brexit. You've got mm-hmm. Europe saying, well, we have these rules in place and anyone that wants a trade agreement has to, uh, has to align with them. And then somewhere in the middle, there is going to be agreements on well, actually, we agree on 95% of this anyway, so as long as we're allowed to make our own rules, then blah, 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 blah. So we'll make agreements on here. We may diverge here. And and, and that's ultimately where these talks are headed. But I think both sides want to be seen to be taking the yeah, dominant I mean, part I, of these negotiations. I, I have to say, I, I find that it's a bit ripe, that, isn't it? Because um, trade deals have got nothing to do with, with overarching um, so-called self-imposed supranational bodies, have they? I mean, trade talks are trade talks. It's about industry, it's about economies, and it's about business. Or do they have more to do with it, do you think? Well, it, it's not... It, it's so the, so the kind of supranational bodies is something that's been kind of a hot topic throughout these kind of Brexit negotiations, the role of the European Commission, the role of the European <laughs> Court of Justice. Mm. But the actual reality of these situations, when you look at, tr- when you've got trade deals between Europe and Canada, Europe and Japan, etc., etc., the US and anyone else, um, the, the point of the, the fact of the matter is, it's about where do we agree on where, where, where regulations should lie and where can we do business on the back of this and where do we disagree and therefore where do we diverge? Who is the uh, overruling body? And it may not be the ECJ, it may not be um, the Supreme court in the uk it could be another uh, another independent body uh, it may be that in the vast majority of cases that this isn't needed at all because agreement uh, is already found and we have to remember that the uk has actually spent years if not decades now forging these rules with the eu so the chances are in the vast 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 majority of cases the uk is actually in agreement with the eu anyway and it's only in a small number of cases where they may want to diverge and then the the the, the, the any free trade agreement that we see with the eu is going to set out uh, exactly where these areas are so i think too much can be made uh, of these types of comments that we are seeing now and that we saw over the last two years during the previous stage of negotiations in terms of just how much of the trade deal it actually um, could potentially jeopardise. Now, again, uh, trying to predict these things, especially when it comes to the UK and Europe right now, um, I think has made a fool of a lot of people over the last few years. So it's it's always extremely difficult. But my gut feeling is is that this is nothing more than early day posturing in these negotiations, short negotiations granted, but posturing nonetheless. Because I think that in the vast, vast majority of cases, there is going to be broad agreement on where they, how they want things to, to go. 
you will have noticed the touchy-feely ads on television from Amazon with its workers uh, saying, why don't you come and have a look around our factory? It's actually rather nice. <laughs> now what they're saying is they've asked Jeff Bezos, who is the world's richest man. They're demanding better green practices at work. So Jeff, good old Jeff, because he can afford this, <laughs> has pledged $10 billion in something called an Earth Fund. And this is nothing to do with investing in Amazon or private companies. This is just helping the world go round, revolve in a better way. What do you feel about that? Well, it's certainly a nice PR move, um, but I think it's it's it shows you the, the 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 power that people can have even over these massive companies. I know people always want to say, uh, but whenever we're talking about showing power over these companies, everyone thinks about taxes. Government should have power over these companies. Com- government should be taxing these companies more uh, and take, putting this into the government kitty. But the reality is that the consumer is king and if the consumer in any way shows a, a distaste for a company, a company's practices, a company's in the, in the current situation approach to uh, the environment and green practices, then it can be it can be far more damaging than anything that any government can do for these companies. And I think this is a, a clever move in many ways from Jeff Bezos, saying in a, in a very still very early stage, I actually do care about the environment, and this is what I want to do to try and help improve things. Because ultimately, it keeps consumers on board. It means when consumers are faced with uh, a decision on where to buy their products, and most products can be bought almost anywhere right now. Then, if they believe that that, that Amazon is a responsible company and is a company that cares yeah. about the environment, has an owner that cares about the environment, then they may continue to spend their cash there, and then the Amazon retains its position. It's a natural extension of ethical investing, really, isn't it? That's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people make these decisions um, um, without even thinking too much about it. You just have companies in the back of your mind that you trust, who you're happy to spend your money with. And a lot of these companies now, I mean, Amazon, I still think, you, in many cases, is the cheapest. Is what among the cheapest out there? So I think when people are shopping online, I think a lot of the time people are looking at the price saying that's broadly similar. I'll go with these because they're either, I don't know better, more trustworthy in delivery or whatever. Uh, and I think people's just uh, affinity to a company is still playing a it still plays a big role. Relatively old news from last week, but you and I haven't had a chance to chat about the new chancellor Rishi Sunak. Um, what, what's your view? First of all, does does he? Do, do you suspect he will be? Um, parroting what the what number 10 says or do you think he's got a mind of his own i mean, I mean certainly has got a mind of his own because he's a highly trained city veteran even though he's relatively young isn't he yeah it's it, it's it's one it's quite difficult isn't it because i mean i think um he is uh, obviously got plenty of experience he's got plenty of experience in very um in very difficult uh, jobs uh, and obviously this is the biggest job he's ever going to have had so far um but it's, I think the way in which uh, Sajid Javid uh, left his position does immediately give the impression that he's going to be more of a puppet of Boris Johnson rather than a, a right-hand man per se. And um, I th- it's, it's really difficult to say because ultimately we only know one of the terms of uh, Javid's departure, right? That he was uh, asked to effectively sack all his advisors, yeah. um, uh, which in his opinion made it untenable and something that no what self-respecting person could accept. But uh, the new Chancellor hasn't been given the same conditions, but we don't also know other discussions that happened in the background. Was that the straw that broke the camel's back or was that the yeah. sole, per- sole reason for him leaving? What conditions have been placed on the new Chancellor? And Mr Sunak will of course 
as we know, he will have been involved in the upcoming budget whenever, of course, that may be. And that's a different question uh, already. I mean, he, he will have been involved in the detail of it, won't he? Yeah, that's true. And it's, it's also interesting, the market reaction to all of this as well. Um, in that We did see a little jump in the pound. We did see a rise in UK yields. So that would suggest that investors are taking this to mean a little bit more than just um, than, than, uh, than, than Boris Johnson and Dominic, uh, and Dominic Cummings trying to have more control over the Chancellor's uh, advisors uh, and, and what he does and how he acts, uh, that there is potentially a more expansionary budget in the offing uh, that more than pushes the rules of the, uh, uh, of the, the, the conservative fiscal rules. So again, it is going to be uh, an interesting budget as and when it happens. We are reaching forward in the dark here, and, and forgive me for asking you this, but actually what, what, if it's going to be more expansionary, then I think we're looking eventually at a rise in interest rates, aren't we? I mean, maybe maybe not even this year, but we are looking at one eventually. Yeah, I think so. I think you're probably looking at a rise in interest rates anyway at some point. I mean, I know the, the odds of interest rate cut um, rose towards the back end and in the early stages of this year, but I think we discussed on the show before, I thought that was a bit naive, a, a bit... Um, a bit soon, and, and I thought it was um, a people. I think people were jumping the gun because of the period of time in which we were measuring the the pulse of the economy. And, and I think what we're going to see is over the next few months, we're probably going to see the economy start to gradually improve. And if we do see a, a big uh, fiscal stimulus, then I think that is going to encourage the Bank of England to lean back towards a rate hike, which they were doing only a matter of. Uh, only a matter of months ago, but uh, as always, the importance—the uh, important thing—comes in where the fiscal stimulus is going to be and how hard they push. Donald Trump in the U.S. learned that just spending more cash and just giving massive tax cuts doesn't necessarily come to the, his great benefit because he was anticipating four percent growth off the fat back of his stimulus measures and uh, a tax kitty, which would more than offset the deficit. Whereas the reality was that the Fed had to raise interest rates and faster than it was previously anticipating in order to stop uh, inflation getting carried away because of that fiscal uh, stimulus. The same is going to be uh, the case in the UK. Just before you go, we should note HSBC profits slumping by about a third due to Europe being weak. What does that say about HSBC's ambitions and maybe also (coughs) the role of international banks? Uh, Sorry, international (laughs) corporate banks. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it says that the business is naturally slowed in Europe. They've had to they've had to uh, endure a, a huge write-off, which has accounted for the vast majority of that uh, of that decline in profits. But I mean, this is still a bank that's uh, very much uh, centred towards uh, Asia. Uh, that I think it's what well, around half its business is generated in Asia, and around ninety percent of its profits. Um, so therefore, this is um, uh, for one, it's a great, it's almost a great achievement of Europe to wipe so much of its profits um, uh, in this uh, fiscal quarter, uh, given how much of it is already focused towards Asia. But I think this is just a sign that HSBC is probably going to be looking uh, more east um, going forward because of the risks associated with these kind of really low growth environments. When there is uh, more opportunities um, uh, over in Asia. Craig Ellen, thank you very much indeed. The Business Breakfast on Jazz FM with Oanda. Online trading, currency data, money transfers.